He is the eternal God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, and we're actually going to sing this passage of Scripture here in just a moment, but the Apostle Paul, speaking of Christ Jesus, he says this, he says, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He's the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him. All things were created through Jesus Christ, and all things were created for Him. And He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. At Christmas, Christians aren't confessing. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, this is something very important to, to attempt to grasp. As Christians, we're not confessing at Christmas time that Jesus was born. We're not confessing that Jesus had a beginning. What we're doing is we're celebrating that the eternal God of the cosmos became man, and he dwelt among men, and he redeemed men. The Apostle Paul, he reminds us in this passage here in Colossians, he reminds us of of four things primarily. The first is this, is that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. If you want to see God, we we look to Christ. We look to Christ. In other words, those in the the first century church, they looked at God. They, They spoke with God conversationally. They ate with God. They traveled with God. They touched God in his humanity. And so so God really did come and dwell among men. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Secondly, the Apostle Paul, he, he reminds us, he reminds those in the first century church, and certainly he reminds those of us 2,000 years removed from that, that Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. That means that, 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 that he's preeminent. He's the first to, to be bodily and eternally resurrected from the dead. Right? He's, the, he's the first to be glorified. And, and this is because he's truly God and he's truly man. Only God could be preeminent. Only God could be the firstborn of all creation. And only a man Only a true man could have a glorified, bodily, eternal, resurrected person. And so Jesus, he's the firstborn of all creation. And because of that, because because he bodily and eternally rose from the dead, we can have hope that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity that resurrected Christ, that we one day, when Christ comes and makes everything new and everything better, we can have confidence, we can have hope that we too will have resurrected, glorified bodies. And so Jesus is the firstborn of all creation, and we can have hope. Third, Jesus is the creator. He's the creator. We, we see that right in, in, in verse 16. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. Jesus, 
He was present with the Father. He was present with the Holy Spirit when all things were, were created because he's part of what we confess, which is that our God is one, but our God is triune. We worship, we serve a triune God. As Christians here at Coastal, this, this is the statement of, of faith that we all subscribe to. This is, this is right in our statement of faith. If, if you were to become a member here, this is, this is what you're linking arms with us and confessing. It says, we believe in one God, eternally existing in three equally divine persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who know, love, and glorify one another. This one true and living God is infinitely perfect, both in his love and in his holiness. He's the creator of all things visible and invisible and is therefore worthy to receive all glory and adoration, immortal and eternal. He perfectly and exhaustively knows the end from the beginning, sustains and sovereignly rules over all things and providentially brings about his eternal good purposes to redeem a people for himself and restore his fallen creation to the praise of his glorious grace. And so we confess that Jesus is a part of the triune God, eternally existing and equal with the Father and with the Spirit. And then Paul concludes this, these uh, couple of verses here in Colossians chapter 1 by saying that Jesus is before all things and in him all things hold together. Right? Jesus, that's another way of saying Jesus is. Jesus is. He, he isn't old. He isn't young. He is. He was before this world and existed with the Father and Son eternally. And this world finds her dependence upon her ruler, King Jesus. And he upholds the world. He upholds the world by, by his word. According to John chapter 1, he, he is the word. And he's the word who came and dwelt among us. And that's a, that's, a, that's a good thing. And so John chapter 1, which we'll read in just a moment, talks about how this word who dwelt with us became a light in the darkness. And so we're going to take a few minutes and sing a couple of songs declaring that, that Jesus doesn't have a birthday, that Jesus is eternally God uh, and he's existed with the Father and the Son, and he's equal, or he's, he's existed with the Father and the Spirit. He is equal with the Father and the Spirit, and that's what we're declaring, the eternality of Christ Jesus. So stand with us if you're able, and let's sing Colossians chapter 1 together. Creator, ruling, sustain. 
You guys may be seated. Those of you who go to a gym, you're not going to have to do that after this service. So our second part, uh, the next couple of songs we're going to sing uh, focus on the incarnation of Christ. Uh, one of the songs we're going to sing, actually, Joy to the World, um, I think, uh, the focal point, we sing it around Christmas time, but its focal point is the return of Jesus Christ, oddly enough. And, um, but uh, we can go singing it. Um, being confident of both the incarnation of Christ and that we're a people that are confessing that Jesus is coming back for us, right? He came once uh, in his humiliation, and he's coming again in his exaltation, and that um, is incredible. And so if you're taking notes, uh, we confess as a Christian church that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, was born of the Virgin Mary, and two questions that we need to ask is, why was Jesus incarnated? Why did Jesus come, uh, become man? Why, was, uh, why did he come in this way? And why was Jesus born of a virgin? Um, there's a theologian by the name of John Frame who gives these, uh, I like the, the reasons that he gives. He gives five reasons why both the virgin birth and the incarnation were necessary, And so the first is this, it has to do with Scripture, the truthfulness, the reliability uh, of Scripture. The Scripture claims that Jesus was incarnated, that Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary, that he came in the flesh, that he added flesh, truly man, to his deity. And uh, because the Scriptures claim this and the Scriptures are God-breathed, We must confess this as believers, and if the Scripture errs on this, then we can't trust the Scripture with anything else, like the bodily, eternal, uh, resurrected um, body of Christ Jesus. We can't trust that Jesus is, in fact, coming back for us. And so the Scripture claims this, and the Scriptures are God-breathed, and we trust the Scripture. And so that's the first reason. The second reason has to do with the deity of Christ, the um, the fact that Jesus is, in fact, God. He has eternally been God. And, and while we can't say dogmatically that God couldn't uh, enter the world in another way, um, surely we see that the incarnation is this supernatural event. And to eliminate the supernatural from this event, from the incarnation, from the virgin birth, is to compromise the divine dimension of it. It's to compromise um, our confession that Jesus is truly God. And so uh, the virgin birth and the incarnation is important for uh, that reason as well, the deity of Christ. The third reason is the humanity of Christ. This was important to the early church. This should be important uh, to the 21st century church as well. Jesus, he really was born. Jesus really did, in fact, become one of us. We could even argue that Jesus was more human uh, than we'll ever be. Uh, Jesus was truly human and was without sin, something that we can't even comprehend. And so the humanity of, of Christ uh, speaks to the Jesus being born of a virgin, Jesus coming in the incarnation. Fourth, the sinlessness of Christ. If, if, if Jesus were were born of, of, of two human parents, uh, it, it would be very difficult to conceive how he wouldn't have inherited a sin nature like the ones that, that we have inherited uh, from our first father, Adam. And so we were all born as sinners. We're not 
um, sinners because we sin. We sin because we're sinners. We are born sinners. We are tainted by what theologians call original sin. That is, that uh, before uh, we are even um, uh, morally uh, capable uh, of discerning good from evil, we are born in iniquity. We are born with an inherited sin nature that we got from the first Adam in the first garden, the first man who chose to transgress the law of God. And because of that, um, there was a ripple effect. Adam was our uh, representative, our, our federal head, if you will. I've used this uh, illustration before, but we have uh, uh, two senators, um, Tim Kaine, Mark Warner, are our elected um, senators here in the state of Virginia. And um, regardless of whether you voted for those two men or not, when they represent the state of Virginia, they represent you and they represent me, for better or for worse. And, and so Adam, the first man, he represented us and, uh, and chose to disobey the Lord. And for that reason, we have inherited a sin nature, one that is uh, content with being alienated from God and, uh, and one that is content um, with unbelief. And Jesus, being truly human, but being born of the Virgin Mary in his incarnation, he did not inherit that sin nature. And Jesus, by God's grace, is the second Adam. He's, he's the new head of, his, of, of the human race. And so just as one transgression in the first Adam led to death and led to condemnation for all men, so Jesus, who the scriptures, particularly in Romans chapter 5, refer to Jesus as the second Adam, Jesus is our representative. He is the, the second Adam, and we inherit, we receive the benefits of what he has accomplished. And so uh, Jesus being sinless is absolutely vital to our salvation. He's the second Adam, the sinless Adam. He's our new federal had our representative. And so the sinlessness of Christ and the virgin birth are tied, they're inseparable. And then five, the nature of grace. The nature of grace is another reason why the incarnation, Jesus born of a virgin, is, is important. The birth of Christ, um, he, he, he was not, he didn't, he didn't have an earthly father in Joseph. There, there can, the, the only person that can, uh, can take the, the, the credit for Jesus uh, coming in the flesh is the Father. It's, it's, and isn't that the nature of grace? God did it all. God gets all the glory. Our triune God gets all the glory. He doesn't share his glory with anyone, and he has initiated seeking and saving us. Right? It, uh, the Apostle Paul says elsewhere that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. And, and what, what a kind God we have in that it was his complete work that he ordained before the foundation of the world to, to send Christ Jesus to come and to save us, to, to bring us into right relationship with our triune God. And so the nature of grace, the birth of Christ, demonstrates the initiative power of God. And, and it's this, this picture of God saving grace in general, of and, and it, it teaches us that salvation is by God's act alone, not by human effort. And the birth of Jesus is like our new birth, which is also by the Holy Spirit. We're a new creation because of the Lord. And the incarnation, it, it, it paved, paved the way for men to see the light 
of Jesus, the light and the darkness. I, I mentioned this just a moment ago, but John chapter 1, the, the first few verses there, the Apostle John, he says, in the beginning was the Word. And he's speaking of, of Jesus when he uses that language. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made, and in him was a life. Right in Jesus was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Right, the, the virgin birth, the incarnation, Christ coming in the flesh, allowed for wretched men and women like us to be brought out of darkness, to be brought into the kingdom of light, to, to, be, to be reconciled not because we're so great, not because we're worth saving, but because we serve such a gracious God. And this is how we, this is how we did it. The incarnation it paved the way for Christ to know our sin, to know our sin better than we know our sin. He did this so that we might know his righteousness. Paul says elsewhere, 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For our sake, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So man, we, what, what an unfair exchange. We, we hear a lot in our culture about what's fair and what's not fair, what's equitable, what's not equitable. Something that isn't remotely equitable, something that isn't remotely fair is that Jesus would get our sin and we would get his righteousness. That's not fair. Like, that's not fair. That this sinless man who's God and man would take our sin, would have our sin put upon his person. And that he would go to the cross and the wrath of God for our sin, for my sin, would be poured out on him. And in exchange, we get the righteousness of Christ so that when we stand before the king over all things, he looks at us and he sees his son. He sees Jesus. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So the incarnation is important. Right? The virgin birth is important. Apart from that, God wouldn't have dwelled with us. Apart from that, God would not have saved us. And so if you're able, let's stand and let's sing with that in our minds. Joy to the world.
an oldie but goodie. As we transition to this next song, um, we actually listened to a podcast this week. Jen sent it to me um, by John Piper. Uh, if many of you don't know him, he's a preacher. Uh, he's a pastor. Uh, and in the podcast, it talks about what, why we worship and what the meaning of it is. Um, and a lot of times we say we're singing worship music. We sing these songs up here. The purpose we, of the choir, um, for many of you who don't know, is to help lead and to be able to sing to you the praises of the Lord and to be able to sing to you tru truths and uh, sing to each other. Uh, and so that's why we have the choir up here. But back to the podcast. Um, he says that we have musical worship. Uh, and I think that this makes a very great distinction between what uh, all the pieces of worship mean. So we have the preaching of the word and we have the singing of the word. And I think no matter how we worship, we are worshiping the Lord. And so as we sing, uh, that means you can just listen to the people next to you and be convicted by the word. Uh, if you want to listen to the words and just read the words, it's however you want to worship during this time. Uh, and so I just love that distinction, the musical worship of this service. So, Jesus Messiah. truth with me this morning. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become his righteousness. He humbled himself and carried the cross. Love so amazing Love so amazing. Jesus Messiah. Jesus Messiah. Name above all names. And blessed Above all names, 
his return. All the hope is in you. All the hope is in you. All the You guys may be seated again. This is the portion of our service where we, uh, we continue to worship, and we worship uh, as well through the giving of tithes and offerings. And so, ushers, greeters, you can go ahead and come forward. Uh, if you are a guest with us, uh, thank you so much for being here. We don't want you to feel any pressure or obligation to give. Uh, we give as a church because of uh, the same reason we sing the same reason uh, we respond to the preaching of God's Word, the same reason we come and we worship here uh, every Sunday in spirit and in truth. And so we're, uh, we give because of what God has done for us in Christ Jesus, understanding that it does take finances uh, to spread the good news of the gospel, to herald the good news of the gospel. And so uh, we give as, a, as an act of worship. Uh, what we would love to have from you if you are a guest is at the bottom of your bulletin there is a thing called a connect card, and you can just tear that off, and I would just love to have uh, just your mailing 
mailing address, your contact information. That way we can send you a thank you card for coming and for being with us uh, this Lord's Day. And I uh, promise we won't bombard you with a bunch of junk mail. I uh, just want to send you a thank you card. Uh, but with that, let me pray for the Lord to bless our offertory time, and then we will receive the tithes and offerings. Heavenly Father, we thank you. God, we thank you for not only saving us, but Lord, you, uh, you give to us so that we can give, so that we can declare your ownership over all things. And so, Lord, um, God, you own our stuff, Lord, and, uh, and God, what we have, we're called to be good stewards of for the glory of your name. And so, God, uh, help us to be faithful and to be generous so that your gospel can uh, reach every tribe, every tongue, and every nation. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Right. Thanks, buddy. This is my friend John. This is the unfamiliar face on the stage. Uh, this guy and I have been friends for a long time, been playing music for well over 10 years. So, yeah. I didn't mean for you to applaud him. Uh, uh, we are, we're going to go in to sing just the final portion of our service, and we're going to sing songs about uh, what Christ Jesus has accomplished for us. And so if you're taking notes... These are the notes. God planned our salvation. Jesus accomplished our salvation. And the Holy Spirit applies and seals our salvation. God planned our salvation. Jesus accomplished our salvation. And the Holy Spirit applies and seals our salvation. Ephesians chapter 1, you're more than welcome to turn there if you'd like, but I think we've got the scripture up on the uh, screen here. Start with verse 3. The Apostle Paul, he says this about um, this planned, accomplished, and applied salvation. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according 
to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Verse 11, in him we've obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory." This is the Apostle Paul speaking of God's planned salvation, this planned salvation that in the fullness of time Christ Jesus accomplished for us in his life and his death and his resurrection, and that the Holy Spirit gloriously applied to our lives, and not only applied to our lives, but seals us. He seals us until we acquire possession of it. And so a few things here. In, in Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And in verse 11, Paul says that we've obtained this inheritance. And I, I spoke about this just a few minutes ago, but, but what he's saying is here is that we reap the benefits of what Christ accomplished in his life, his death, and his resurrection. And, and so according to this passage, Paul kind of teases out what exactly that looks like for us. Paul says that, that our God, in verse 4, he chose us to be in Christ before the foundation of the world. God didn't peek into the future and say, man, this person and that person is going to be smart enough to, to choose me. He didn't say, man, these people seem like great people, so I'm going to choose them. No, he chose us based on his own sovereign, unchanging, good character. And it's good that he didn't choose us for salvation based off of our character. It's good that he chose us based on his character, right? Right? Our character is fleeting. Our character moves around. If our salvation was based on our character, the pastor standing up here preaching to you wouldn't be a Christian this morning. But it's based on the Lord. And it's based in verse 5 according to his will, not our will. He predestined us that we should be adopted into his family. We're a part of the family of God. Isn't that incredible? We're not just isolated, alienated Christians living our own individual lives. We're a part of a family. We're a part of God's family where Christ is the head and we're his body. We're connected to one another. Called by God, not just in our salvation, but called by God to announce and to declare and to invite to other people to come and be a part of this incredible eternal family. And, and, and our, fam our, our, our familial relationship with one another, some of you are married as husband and wife. Our, our relationship in Christ is even more intimate than that. It says a brother and a sister in Christ Jesus. That's our eternal relationship with one another. That's our adopted relationship with one another that, that the Lord predestined us to, to be a part of before the foundation of the world according to his will, not our will. In verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 1, we're redeemed 
through the blood of Jesus. Without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. There's no remission of sin. You read the Old Testament, and especially you read in the first five books, right, of, of the Old Testament that, that Moses penned to document all this, really, this gruesomeness in regards to the sacrificial system, the, the, uh, the requirements to be temporarily made right with God through the shedding of the blood of an animal. That really what the, the Lord is communicating to us throughout the Old Testament is that one day there would be a sacrifice that for once and for all, once and for all, remove the stain and the guilt of our sin the eternal blood of Jesus Christ. There's no other way to have peace with God except through the blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for my sin and for your sin so that we can be eternally clean, so that we could be washed as white as snow. Jesus is the lamb. Lambs were sacrificed all throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is the lamb. Jesus also, uh, we're going to sing the last song um, in a minute. We're going to sing three more songs. In the last song, we're going to declare that Jesus is also the line of Judah. So he's the lamb. We're washed in his blood, verse 7. Verse 7 goes on to say, We're forgiven of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Again, this is, this is the work of God alone. The only thing that we contribute to our salvation are the sins that Christ took from us. It's the only thing that we bring in the salvation process there. But we're forgiven of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. The grace, the kindness of our God. And then in verse 9, we see that, that God revealed to us the mystery of His will. That is this this preordained salvation plan, this, this, this thing that even the Old Testament saints were looking forward to, this coming Messiah that now in, in the book of Ephesians here, uh, the Apostle Paul declares as being Christ Jesus, and we as a church declare, yes, God was true to his word, God was faithful to his promise in that he delivered a Messiah, and that Messiah is Christ Jesus. There's no other Messiah. There's no other uh, name by which men are saved but through Jesus. Jesus is the God-man that was promised, and he was promised before the foundation of the world, and now we know, and now we confess. That's the revealed mystery of God's will to us in verse 9. And then in verse 14, the Helper. He seals us with the promised Holy Spirit. When we repent of our sin, these sins that, that, that bring these fleeting pleasures but lead us, leave us feeling empty, leave us feeling miserable. These temporary pleasures that, that come from this, this heart of ours that, that, that's been called an idol factory, that, that causes us to serve the creature rather than the creator, that, that causes, us, uh, causes our perspective on our creator, God, to, to be skewed. This Holy Spirit comes and we repent of our sin. Even repenting of our sin is this gift. It's this, this, this uh, 
uh, should make us aware that the Holy Spirit has taken this idol factory of a heart that we have, this stony heart that we have, and he's, he's causing us to hate our sin. He's causing us to begin to love God, and he's causing us to profess faith in Christ, not because we don't want to go to hell, but because we want to be with God. And so he gives us this heart of flesh, and he leads us to a confession that Jesus is in fact the Lord. He's the Lord over all. Not only does he lead us to that confession, not only does he open our, the eyes of our hearts, but he seals us, and he's the guarantee that what Christ accomplished, we will in fact inherit. And we can have confidence that the salvation that's been given to us freely is a salvation that, we'll, uh, that we will persevere in because our Lord doesn't take back that precious gift. It's he that started it, it's he that accomplished it, it's he that will finish it. And so we're going to sing some songs about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ Jesus, and we're going to sing with our triune God in mind, knowing that God in his kindness sent Christ Jesus. Christ accomplished what the Father sent him to accomplish, and the Holy Spirit applies what Christ accomplished to our lives. And so if you're able, let's stand and sing these remaining three songs. To purge 
praise Him for that.
all know the song, call and response. Um, as we sing this song, really meditate on the truths of it uh, as you respond to what Jenna sang. Yeah. 
Benedictions, Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. Let's read this together. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. God bless you.